Well, welcome to two Wednesday evening chapel. Almost a Tuesday. Doing all right? Good, good. Real quick before we begin, I would like just to announce of our discipleship groups that are starting here on Thursday evening. Uh, Power, Love, and Sound Mind. There's some flyers out there happening on Thursday evenings in the Williamson building in the fireside room. So Thursdays at 5. Thursdays at 5, come worship with us and pray with us and um, as we just gather together and just lift up one another and spur one another on. Amen. Dr. Graves, come and welcome us this morning and also introduce our guest this evening. Hey, thanks for your prayers these last few weeks. Uh, thankfully, I think I'm on the mend. And I, I praise God for that. It's been, a, it's, uh, it's been a long six weeks. Uh, but as you well know, I had surgery last Tuesday, a week ago Tuesday, and, and had a little setback over the weekend. But today is better, and we're moving forward. And I want to thank you for your prayers. And I apologize, I just haven't been here but one time this fall. And that's just not like me. I like to come to chapel and be a part of chapel. And uh, so it's good to be here tonight. It's also good to have one of my good, good friends with us tonight, Dr. David Busick, president of Nazarene Theological Seminary, located in Kansas City, Missouri. And Dr. Busick has uh, been a great leader in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, for many years now and uh, in fact uh, he just came to the seminary from one of the historic pulpits in the Church of the Nazarene at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene where he pastored there I believe for seven years and so he has been a pastor he's been an he's an author he's and now a leader of our seminary and we share a special partnership the seminary and the Bible College and, and uh, we're just really pleased to have Dr. Busick to speak tonight. He spoke this morning at a full chapel as we invited pastors in for Pastor Appreciation Day. And you're going to really enjoy his ministry tonight. I'd like to introduce his lovely wife, Christy. Christy, would you stand? And so our... Uh... And I think Dr. Busick has already been in two classes tonight. So... We're, we're, we're working him over today. Well, let's worship to the Lord together tonight. Aren't you glad to be in His presence? Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Let's worship. The sound that saved a wretch like me And I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see so clearly down on me Hallelujah no 
of my stains Washed away, washed away T'was grace that taught my heart To fear and grace my fears
may be seated. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace that has completely changed who we are and for your grace that makes us who you want us to be. Thank you for the privilege of being here among your people and in, for those who are here preparing to speak words of grace to other people. I pray that you will minister to all of us tonight. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Well, just a word to say thank you to, uh, to the hospitality that's been shown to us over the last 24 hours. We love the NBC community and uh, value the partnership that we share with you, and I've had the privilege of being in a few classes now, and I am very impressed with the quality of students who are here, and uh, excited to talk with you more about possibilities of uh, doing your graduate work at NTS. So uh, let's continue to talk, and I'd look forward to that. I want to talk to you tonight about an idea that is so revolutionary that it has the power not only to change your life, it has the power to literally change the world. In fact, it, it's an idea that is so stunning and, and so unheard of that it literally is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. It, it's such a stunning concept that that poets and songwriters and, and uh, great thinkers have, wrote, have written scores of pages about it. And, and one songwriter that we heard tonight said the only way to describe it is amazing. And I want to read to you what that concept is. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. In verses 8 and 9, these two verses have been the impetus for revolutions around the world. For entire reformations have happened around these two verses. And here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For it is by grace you have been saved. What is grace? There's a lot of definitions uh, that have been thrown around over the years, and, and you've heard un undeserved favor. Uh, let me throw out an idea that might be a little different take on the idea of grace. 
Grace is the favor given to someone who deserves the opposite. Grace means gift. It, it, it means free gift. It, and that's why so much a part of grace is about the undeserved aspect, that you don't earn it. You couldn't earn it in a thousand lifetimes. You, you can't buy it. You can't work harder for it. This passage tells us that no one can work for grace, which means that grace says there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does right now. Grace literally means you can't work harder and you can't be worse or you can't be badder than you are right now that would cause God to say, I love them less or I love them more than I do right now. Grace is completely undeserved. And grace is very personal. Uh, grace, grace is not a thing. Grace is not something we obtain for our salvation. Grace is personal. Grace is not the Christian motor oil of your life that helps you run your journey a little smoother. The Bible tells us that grace is all the work that God has done through His Son Jesus on your behalf. The sum total of all of God's work in Jesus is offered to you in personal ways through His Son Jesus Christ. So grace is very personal because grace is about Jesus and grace is about you. Grace is very personal. But it's interesting to me that while we talk about grace, we often don't know how it works. We, we're not sure exactly how grace manifests itself in our life. I mean, we, we understand a little bit about it, but, but I want to explore for a few minutes tonight what God's grace might look like in your life, in my life. Because there are aspects of God's grace that encompass the very beginning of your journey all the way to the very end. And this is where it starts. The Bible says that God's grace is a seeking grace. It's a grace that comes to where you are. You see, we, we have misunderstood it sometimes. We, we sometimes say, I came to Jesus. No one comes to Jesus. Jesus comes to you. Jesus comes to you and you respond, but you do not come to him because according to Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions. Dead people don't respond. Something had to awaken you. Something had to cause you to be responded to, which means that if God had not touched you by his grace, you would still be dead in your sins. It also means that God's grace is seeking after you, and so he comes to where you are. Uh, Jesus told parables about this grace. He said, he said, uh, Think about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, 99 are safe in the fold, and there is one that is lost. What would a normal shepherd do? Answer, protect the 99. What would the irrational shepherd do? Leave 99 and go looking for one. And yet that's, that's exactly what this particular shepherd does. This shepherd goes looking for the lost one. And Jesus says when he finds this lost sheep, 
there is such a celebration that goes on because the lost one has been found. Jesus said another way to talk about it is, is like a woman who's lost a coin in her house and she turns that, she turns that house upside down until she finds that one coin and when she finds it she throws a celebration probably that cost her more than the coin itself but their celebration Christianity is the only religion in the world that will tell you that you do not come to God God comes to you Amen. Islam says if you take one step toward Allah Allah will take two steps toward you but where's the grace in that Grace means God came to where you were, he awakened you, he touched you, and now you have the chance to respond, but you would have never had the chance to even say no if it were not for the seeking grace of God. Right. That's good. That's good. But there's also the saving grace of God. And the saving grace of God is, is when after you're awakened, you say yes. This is God's redemption. This is when God redeems you, when He sets you free, where you are born again, where you're released from captivity, where all things are made new. All things pass away. This is when you're, the best way one writer can say it is, it's like you're born again. Born anew. A transformation happens where Jesus, on the one hand, caught your attention. Now He captures your heart and you're forgiven of your sins and fear is taken away and purpose is given in your life this is the saving grace of God and you did nothing to be saved except to say yes to the grace of God in Jesus but you know what it's not over yet because the Bible's very clear that as we walk in this journey in this saving grace of God, that there comes a moment in every person's life where they realize, I'm in God's hands, but who's driving this car? Who's really in charge of my life? I know that, that I've been redeemed, I've been saved, and I know that Jesus is my Savior, but is Jesus my Lord? Is Jesus in control? Have I consecrated everything I have to him? Do I love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Do, are, are there Christ-like things in me that are becoming more and more fruitful and evident? And that's when God's grace moves to sanctifying grace, the seeking grace of God, the saving grace of God. And now, when God fills you with his Spirit, and when you bow your knee and you say, Lord, I not only want you to be my Savior, I want you to be my Master. I want you to have full control of my life. And where you captured my heart before, now I want you to cleanse my heart so that even the motives of what I think about and the things I aspire to change, that everything now is for your glory. My whole life is used for holy purposes. The sanctifying grace of God. You are set apart for His purpose. But believe it or not, it's not over yet. Because 
a part of the sanctifying grace of God is then the sustaining grace of God. This is, this is the protective grace that says no temptation will come to you in which it will cause you to fall. This is the grace that has your back. This is the grace that says, I will keep you from falling. You know, we've made a mistake in sanctifying grace to say that we sanctify ourselves. We don't do that. We consecrate ourselves, but God makes us holy. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, but God is the one who makes you like himself. And in the same way, it, th there comes a point in the sustaining grace of God that, carry, that, that strengthens you where it never takes away your power to sin. We've gotten that wrong sometimes in our tradition because we've said once you're sanctified that you'll never sin again. But here's, we never really meant that. What we really meant to say is, is that the sustaining grace of God says that now that you are filled with the Spirit, not that you could never sin again, but now you never have to. Right. Now you can say no to the temptation, and you can say yes to God. And Paul says there was a time in your life when that could not happen. There was a point in your life, Paul says, where sin was your master your taskmaster. And every time you wanted to do this, you did that instead. And every time you didn't want to do that, you did it anyway because sin was the ruler of your life. But now in the fullness of the Spirit, you have the power to say yes to God and no to the temptation. And that changes everything for you because now you have the power to actually live the life God has called you to live. It's the sustaining grace of God. The grace that Jude says will keep you from falling and will bring you to that day blameless in His sight. Amen. The sustaining grace of God. But there's actually another aspect of God's grace. And this is a mysterious idea that I don't think I even yet fully understand. It's, it's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said there, there was this thing in my life, there was this burden, there was this thorn in my flesh that whatever it was, we don't know if it was Paul, a sickness in Paul's life, if, if it was a past of Paul's life, if, if it was a relationship or, or a, a kind of persecution. We don't know what it was, but we do know this, that, that this was something so oppressive for Paul, something that beat him so down that he prayed not once and he prayed not twice, but he prayed three times, I'm begging you, God, please take this away. This is like a messenger from Satan in my life. Take this thorn away. And I want to remind you that Paul was not a sissy. You go back and you read some of what Paul endured. Uh, lashes, beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, snake bites, imprisonment, starvation. I mean, this is not a wimp. And so whatever this issue was, was not insignificant. And Paul said, 
I can do those other things. I just can't do this. And he said, every time I prayed that prayer, it was like God said back to me, no, Paul, that thorn will remain as a constant reminder of your dependence upon me. But know this, that my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. Amen. Know this, Paul, that in your darkest moments, when you don't think you can take another step, when that painful thing seems to be bearing down on your soul, when you don't think you have the strength to carry on, know this, my grace will carry you. Amen. Praise God. You remember the story, Footprints in the Sand? It's an older story, but it's really about sufficient grace. It's the story of a man or walking along a beach, of walking with God, and he noticed that through most of his life there were two sets of footprints in the sand, and yet every time he had a deep valley to walk through, it was like all of a sudden there was one set of footprints and he couldn't understand why God would leave him in his worst moments. And so one day he said to God, God, why is it that every dark valley I walk through, you walked with me all the way through the other parts, but when I came to that place, you left me. And God said, I didn't leave you. I was carrying. The sufficient grace of God. I think it's the kind of grace that is easy to understand in your head, but until it's in your heart, until you've experienced it, it's, it's really hard to fully grasp. I don't know how many times over the years as a pastor I would see somebody in a dark valley in a deep distress and... and and, and people would say, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. And they would always say something that, that just amazed me. They would say, I can't describe it either. I know I should be completely, uh, I, I should just be completely hopeless, but it's, it's literally like I'm being carried. I've heard people say that. It's been a few years ago now. I was pastoring Bethany First Church in a place that I love dearly. And I will say that it was seven years of a honeymoon, except there was a pretty dark thing happening through that time, and that was a major lawsuit. A lawsuit that was so huge that it literally could have bankrupted the church. Something that had happened before I'd arrived with a staff member and multiple people were involved. And and I got to tell you, over from the day I walked into the church as their pastor until probably uh, six and a half years later, it was, it was almost a daily occurrence, something with this lawsuit. And it got really personal. I, I, I have a lot of attorney friends, but if I never have to sit through another deposition, it'll be okay with me. I sat through so many times saying, be careful what you say about that. Don't say this. They're going to take this and twist that. And we were getting ready for about a six-week trial where I was going to be the focal point of that trial for six weeks. And it was going to get ugly. And we were just coming to the, 
the point of that possible trial or a settlement. And I'll never forget the day I was standing on my front porch my telephone rang and Christy was on the other end of the phone and she sounded stunned. She said, David, I just got back from the doctor and I got some news I wasn't expecting. He told me that I have cancer. And I have to tell you, I've heard that phrase maybe hundreds of times. But when your wife says that, it changes. And we begin to think, what's next? And the doctor said, we found a growth in your throat. We don't know if it's gotten into the lymph node systems. Uh, we, don't, we don't know what it's going to hold. We think we could open you up and maybe it could be contained, but it also could be spread. We just have to go in and look at it. And not knowing what that was about, we started her on some medications, getting ready for a major surgery, and, and, and she started getting really, really sick and weak. And all of a sudden, the lawsuit didn't feel such a big deal anymore. And I remember the night before her surgery, we were sitting in a dark, she was laying in a dark hospital room asleep. And I got down on my knees beside her bed. I said, God, this is too much for me to bear. I cannot lose my wife. And I don't know if I can keep going with all the other things that are going on. And I need your help. I need you to Rescue me. Rescue her. If I could have taken, if I could have crawled up in the bed and taken all that for her, I would have done that. And I can't quite describe what happened except to say that in that moment the presence of God swept into that room and my spirits were suddenly lifted in a way that I knew. I was being carried by the sufficient grace of God. And all of a sudden, even though I didn't know the outcome of that surgery, I just had a peace that was way beyond my ability to understand. The sufficient grace of God. When you can't take another step, I will carry. Let me describe God's grace in one more way. There's a 12-year-old girl who walks into this chapel, and you can tell by the way she's dressed, she comes from a rough home. Her clothes are wrinkled and dirty. Her hair is tangled and not brushed. You can tell by the bruises on her arm that there's probably abuse going on at home. And you know a little bit about her family history. You know that her mom has been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. And she's now living with another live-in boyfriend. And there's rumors going around that there might be some sexual abuse going on as well. You also know that 
She's not doing very good in school. She's failing all of her classes. And she's not getting any support at home. And most of her teachers just kind of put up with her. Let me tell you what a behavioralist would say about that 12-year-old girl. They would say, she's wounded for life. She's already been so crippled and so marred and so hurt that she'll never be everything she could have been. She'll never, she'll never know everything that God could have done in her life. She's just going to be the walking wounded forever. That's what a behavioralist would say. You want to know what a Christian says? That girl, by God's grace, can be healed and transformed and remade and carried, and she can become anything God wants her to be, no matter what's happened to her, no matter what she's done, no matter what been, what, what's been done to her. Nothing is impossible for God. Amen. Amen. By God's grace, she can be whole. Amen. That's what we believe. In fact, John Wesley said it this way. Show me the vilest wretch in all of London, and I will show you someone who has all the grace of the apostles themselves. <laughs> There's no place you've ever been. There's nothing you've ever done. There's nothing that's ever been done to you. There's no burden so great that God's grace can't handle it. God's grace does for you what you cannot do for yourself. God's grace seeks you out. God's grace saves you. God's grace sanctifies you. God's grace sustains you. And when necessary, God's grace will carry you Amen. when you don't have the strength. Would you bow your heads, please? I think tonight there are some very good people here who are living under the kind of strain and brokenness and are dealing with things at home and pressures. You just need to be reminded that God's grace is a gift to me tonight. For whatever I need, God's grace is here to meet you at that point of need. I could never begin to describe what you need, but God knows exactly. And tonight, the Spirit of the living Christ is in this room to offer you what you need. We're going to sing a song about the grace of God. And I don't want to try and prescribe what you need to do tonight. If you want to pray in your seat, if you want to talk to God, if you want to come and kneel at an altar, if you want to tap someone on the shoulder and say, I can't pray right now, will you help me pray? Tonight, God's presence is here for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence that is here. Thank you for your power that is here to make us like Jesus, to heal us, to heal our minds and our hearts, and to make us what you want us to be.
Let your will be done in our lives tonight. Gracious Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love, now flowing down from hands and Thank you for your presence that is among us. Thank you for the healing, saving, sanctifying, sustaining, sufficient grace of God for all of our lives. I pray that you will continue, Lord, to help us to be amazed through our whole lives about what you have done and what you are doing. Lord, help our lives to be lived in response to your gift of your Son. And Lord, help our hearts to just be so captured by the good news that we can't help but share it with those around us. Go with us now, Lord. Help us to go in your grace and your peace. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave tonight, thank you for your, your, your great attention. 
offer words of grace and peace to two or three people before you leave, you're dismissed.